I'm excited about what God is going to do. God is going to heal some people today, and you're going to hear some amazing testimonies. And so uh, uh, today's message is simply this, don't cast away your faith. Poke your neighbor and say, don't cast away your faith. Now say it like you mean it. Don't cast away your faith. Amen. I'm going to put a scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 to 36. If you will stand for the reading of God's word. I do know, I've already been told a couple of times now, that you version something's wrong. Um, we thought we posted in the wrong week. We did not. We actually posted it correctly, but something's gotten snafued with you version on, on the you version side of things. So um, we're sorry about that. We don't have you version notes. So just pull out the notes in your phone and just take them in there. Amen. And when we get you version, then you can transpose them. Amen. So don't cast away your faith. We're going to read Hebrews 10, 35 through 36 in the King James Version and then in the New Living Translation. I love it. So in the King James Version, it says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, or you could put the word faith there. Everybody say faith. Which has great recompense of reward, or great repayment. For you have need of patience. I don't like that. How about you? None of us want that part of it. That after you have done the will of God, so there's a role for us. We have to do the will of God and be patient. You might receive the promise. Wow. In the NLT version, the New Living Translation version, it says, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. That means that it is possible for us to throw our faith away. Remember the great reward. Everybody shout great reward. reward. It brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Amen. Would you, would you hold your Bibles up in whatever form it is, whether it's your phone or a paper Bible, however, and I just want you to just, just we're going to declare and then I'm going to pray for you. I, I, are you ready to say, Heavenly Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive your truth. Father, I just pray right now, God, that you would just speak to us through your word. I pray you would anoint each and every person testifying as, as Ethel comes now and prepares to share her testimony. Father, I'm asking your mighty hand be with her. Be with us. Be with Jerusha on the end. God, I pray the word of God, Father, fall on the good soil of our hearts and our hearts bear forth fruit in, in our lives. I pray, Father, you speak to us. Lord, let us hear what you have to say. Not one word of our own. But God, I pray that we would become the doers of your word and not hearers only. I bless you. I thank you for all you've done. I praise your holy name. You are worthy, God, of glory. You are worthy of honor. And you are worthy of all praise. And so, God, we honor you now. We thank you now. And we give you glory for your word, which sets us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. High five two or three people as you're being seated. Holly is not on. Oh, okay. Come on down, Marshall and Ethel. Okay. Uh, Mom said, will you get my girls down here? They don't understand English. 
I love it. That's right. Tell them that in the mic. You got the mic. I got to keep them straight. <laughs> These are my two angels. Three. And we want to welcome back the newly Mrs. Gilbert. Yeah. Amen. So, Ethel, tell us all your names. Can you remember them? Yeah. <laughs> this is my husband, Marshall. This is my youngest daughter, Shonda. This is my granddaughter, Brittany. This is my oldest daughter, Denise. Amen. And you are Ethel. And I'm Ethel. So, Ethel, tell us what happened. When did it happen and what happened? Um, last year, on June 19th, this is hearsay. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember a lot. Um, I went, got up and went to the grocery store. They said I say I was going to get a few things, which I always say. And I came back with a whole bunch. But I wasn't feeling well, and I was feeling great that morning. So uh, Marshall said that I was sweating something fierce, and I didn't feel well. And he asked me if I wanted to go to the hospital, and I said no. So when you first come in our house, it's our, fam it's our living room where he resides. <laughs> and then my room is all the way in the back, which is the family room. Well, normally, he doesn't come in there with me. Sometimes, every once in a while, I'd watch TV. But he usually stays in there and watches his TV. And I come in the family room and watch mine. But for some reason, that day, it, was, it had to be God, because he came in there and stayed with me. And then he said, I got up, took a few steps, and then I went down. And then he called 911. Well, he said it seemed like it was forever for them to get there, about, I guess, 8 to 10 minutes that I was without oxygen or air. So um, they had to resuscitate me and use the, um, what do you call it, the paddles four times wow. over an hour before they took me out. Um, my doctor was going to try to be here today, but of all the nerve, she went to Paris <laughs> for her 30th anniversary. And she wasn't sure she would get back yesterday morning or yesterday night, but she said if it was all possible, she would come. She's been my doctor now for 15, 18 years. I love her dearly, and she loves me. But anyway, um, I went to the hospital, Mercy North, I guess it was, Fairfield, and um, I don't remember anything. Uh, all I know is they had to take me straight in, put a ventilator in me. Um, I'll let Marshall tell you some, and I'll let... Denise and Shonda tell you some, because I was in the hospital from June 19th, and I didn't come back home till October, so I was gone a long time. So I'll let you tell him a little bit. He doesn't like to talk about it, so this is our last time. Huh. He feels really bad because he couldn't do much, but I told him, don't you ever think that. You've done more, more for me than I could ever repay <laughs> without him. I, he was there every day. Yeah. Every day he sat with me, whether I slept or whether, you know, whatever it was. We could watch TV together, pray together, or whatever, but he was there. So I'll let you tell him. A well, I just, he said, we hold the mic up to you. For now. some reason, I just uh, sat back and went to her room. Uh, I sat there and discussing the hospital, but she didn't want to go to the hospital that she ended up going to. And never did think about 911, but when she, she got up, like she said, she 
took two steps and she passed out. I called 911 and they finally got the ambulance out, like she said, it took forever. And they actually shocked her about six times. They shocked her going in, they finally got her stable. They got an ambulance and was on the way to the hospital and I understood that they had to shock her again in the ambulance to bring her back again. Well, we get to the hospital and they take her in and they went and put two stents in her. The doctors come out and said something about some kind of, none of us remember what the doctor said about something that she might have. And was praying about that. And the next day the doctor said, well, she don't have to worry about that. Well, they took her in and she was in the, her room and they was going to put her in the, uh, her body temperature to do a damage or something about her Cooling, it, what it was, it was some kind of cooling system that takes her temperature down to help her out with something. But in the process, when they was getting her temperature, her acid in her system had a leak and they had to stop and bring her out of that and bring her back and get her temperature back up. Well, they finally got that done and uh, fi uh, fixed that. And then they had her like in a coma and they gave her medication that so she wouldn't remember. They said it's better for her not to. Uh, remember because it's so painful and she was like in a coma so we sit there and we really all we can do is to sit there and we ask prayer and we every day it was a little bit different well they was worried about her brain because she was done without oxygen they didn't know how her brain would as she might have been kind of like a vegetable or whatever and uh, they sent this doctor in that uh, I guess he's a brain surgeon or whatever. They brought him in to evaluate her. Well, we came in the next day and he come, He was sitting there and we had to talk to him. And he said, well, she's not responding to anything command, voice commands. They would tell her like, move your foot, raise your arm. She didn't respond. But if you took her hand, like you go across your hand or go across your foot, she'd move it. And he said, well, that's not command. And he would not, excuse me, but he was kind of arrogant. And uh, so we told him, no, nah, we believe in God. God's going to heal her. Yeah. It's not going to be about this. Mm -hmm. And he just kind of looked at us and, and like we told him, we believe God's going to heal her. He's going to heal her all the way. Yeah. And so uh, she had this doctor, and he went in there, and he got mad. He came out there and he told her, he says, Ethel, move your right foot. She moved her right foot. Ethel, move your left foot. She moved her left foot. Ethel, move your left hand. She moved her left hand. And he told her right hand. And she couldn't barely move her right hand. He said, that's not brain dead. That's, that's the understanding the command. She's doing She's She's going to be okay. Well, he got real mad about it. So that went through. So she started coming through. They had a inducer is coming out she had a uh, thing for breathing they kept trying to take that out and every time they tried to take it out something happened she put it back in well she was going to take therapy and she didn't want to do the therapy but they was going to give her therapy anyway and it was putting her over in a chair in the process of giving, putting in a chair I, I noticed her go like something like this 
about the time I noticed that, a nurse come running in. And he looked one like that, and he ran back out. And he hit his button in cold blue. And you see the movies where doctors come all over the place? They come all over the place. I mean, they was coming from every aisle at the end. I mean, they was running all over the place. So we, I had to get out, and she had, uh, she died again. They, they, they took and revived her again, and uh, put her in and put her back on the oxygen again. And they kept telling me, we got to get her off this tube thing because it's going to uh, infect her throat and something to do with her throat. And uh, they kept, finally they brought her out of that induced coma or whatever it is, and where she was able to start understanding more stuff and they were finally she able to talk to you. And uh, they told us, we got to put a trick in her throat. We got to get that uh, finlandine machine out of her throat because of that. But the doctors there, they sent a uh, doctor, electrician, the, uh, the body of the brain. He came in, he couldn't find it because they were trying to figure why they shed the other heart attack. Well, he couldn't find nothing. And uh, they said, well, we've got to get that give her a trick. But nobody at that hospital would give her, would do it because she was on this blood thinner. In order to do the trick, they had to take her off the blood thinner and there was a possibility she could die. So nobody at that hospital would do it. So they end up sending her to a UC hospital, as you see. And uh, they put her in it, took her to UC. Well, the doctor that came in to join, do the trick, they came in and told us, call the family and said, well, we gotta do this trick, but there's a chance that she might not make it. If you, she don't make it, do you wanna us be a survivor? And I said, yeah, I want you a survivor, cause she's, She's going to make it. I said, God's not brought her this far, and just let her die now. Amen. He's going to bring her up through the whole thing. Yeah. So he said, okay. And he said, well, if uh, he sees her, I want to see her. <laughs> well, he she went. He's out now, so I couldn't contact him. He left. <laughs> so they done the trek. Everything went okay. And she has no problem, but then she came through that. And finally, the hospital released her from uh, Christ Hospital, put her in the Drake Hospital at Christ for rehabilitation. So she was there for like, uh, I think, two to three weeks. She went from there from to uh, 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 was at the Drake Center. Then she went to a, a rehab place, like a home, nursing home, like for rehabilitation. Well, she was like there for like 20-some days, and she finally uh, got her strength enough and everything that we came back home. Um, the doctor, Shonda, was telling me that when they called him in the room, the one that put the trach in, I'll let you tell him. Um, we all came into the room, and he said that the way she is is that uh, she might not be able to ever get out of bed, that she might not be like walking again, and we told him. Yes, she will. <laughs> um, <laughs> Amen. It's 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 not funny, but it's just something that you know. When you read the Bible, you see these. You read the stories of Jesus healing people, and you just 
there's something in me that just always this whole time that he's been with me and never left my side to sit there and say that my mom was going to be okay. And the devil tried, <laughs> tried like crazy to sit there and say, oh, you know, um, no, she's not. And as soon as th that went into my mind, it was, yes, she will. Yes, she will. And there were songs on there, forget, fear is a liar, and he will do it again. Amen. And he's never, never, never failed us yet. Um, but what he was saying also about the cooling system is that it was for her brain because when she was without oxygen for so long, the cooling system helps to restore any damage that might have been. And uh, sh she was supposed to be on for 24 hours, and she was only for eight because of um, – that seeping into her blood, so that's why they warmed her up. Um, and I remember the calls from my dad saying, you know, they had that she had another heart attack, and and I remember one time just bawling my eyes out at work, and my boss asked me, said, "Do you want to go?" I said, "No, nope, God's going to heal her." Wow. I I don't know how to explain this to you guys. I'm telling you, when God says. You have to stand on his word, for sure. Amen. And there's no other word I ever stand on besides his. So, so, so dead twice. Lack of oxygen for no telling how long. Prognosis, you won't walk, you won't talk, you won't none of that. But look what God has to say. God always has the final say. She said, do you remember us singing to you? And I said, no. But that might be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't so much sing to her. Um, I have to honestly say that also, uh, do you ever, like, wonder why sometimes you go through the things you go through? And I really have to give it to Heather Frazier for Kenny because she was there giving me words, scriptures upon scriptures upon scriptures, and I read those to my mom, and, um, and I play her favorite songs, and we just – put the, you know, our phones right by her and play the uh, songs that she'd like to hear yeah. and, and just kept praying. God is good. Declaring the word of God. Keep declaring the word of God out loud. Amen. Would anybody else like to say anything as we finish this up? No? Good? Okay. These two, like I said, at the hospital, I don't remember being at Mercy. I don't remember being at UC. Um, but, boy, when I went to Drake slash Christ, it was horrible. I couldn't talk, and I would ring my bell, and the nurses would say, can we help you? <laughs> yeah, you can get in here and see what I want, <laughs> since I can't tell you. And so they moved me from one room right next to the nurse's station so they could keep an eye on me. Well, I had one nurse who came in and took my blood pressure that morning. I never saw her all day. So then one nurse came in. I said, I want to see the head nurse. She said, I am. I said, well, I never saw a nurse all day. She said, who's your nurse? I said, the girl right next to you. I said, how can you all take care of me if you don't even come and check on me? So these two, they would stay, she, well, Denise lived in South Lebanon, so she couldn't come as much as Shonda. But Denise has been used to taking care of the elderly. So she was my night and she was my, what do you call it, nightingale. I mean, Shonda can't do the things that Denise could because of her stomach. So Denise took care of me, bathed me. It's all was, coming out here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all coming out. But well, Denise took her 
niece more or less stayed at night time. So yeah. when the night nurse would take over, that's when most of the time that she would have the trouble. A niece would be there, and the nurse didn't do it. The niece would go out and get the nurse. So yeah. when something yeah, he would yell at the nurse. And I had to <laughs> tell the niece to calm it down because they, they was kind of getting mad at her because she was kind of jumping on the nurses. And the first time that I ever got to talk is when they took the trach out and they gave me a little cap that sat on top of my voice box. So I called Shonda. She cried. And I said, hi, baby. She went, mama, or whatever she called me. She calls me mama usually. She's, she, Brittany called later and said, thanks, Grandma, for making my mom cry. <laughs> And then I called Denise and talked to her, but I couldn't use it a whole lot because it made me cough. It got me choked. But uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't talk, so my friend brought me a, a dry erase board, and I would write what I wanted or what I needed or what I wanted to say. Holly said I was the one that taught her to read <laughs> lip language. She did. <laughs> Amen. But uh, do you want me to put anything on that, that the doctor said? You just, no, you just, it's on the overhead, and you oh. can just, you can just, we, the doctor calls her her miracle patient, yes. so. My miracle patient. Isn't God good? So, uh, like I said, I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God. Amen. I have a lot of pity days. Why me, God? Not so much as why me, God, but like I told Sarah this morning, this trach is not healed, and there's only like three or four that has never healed, but I'm the lucky special one. Uh. So I will have to have surgery on July 14th, and I wouldn't mind if it was an outpatient, but I was in the hospital so long I didn't want to go in. But they said maybe one to three days, depending on how I do, I have to get clearance from the cardiologist. Um, so that's really worried me, you know, bothered me. But uh, I'm just praying that God will heal me, and that I won't have to endure this Amen. anymore. Yeah. And uh, like I said, my doctor would have been here, but... Uh, she wouldn't take me to Paris with her. I don't know why. You know, some people are like that. It's the same reason why we didn't take you on our honeymoon. Oh, yeah. She wouldn't take me on her honeymoon either. But anyway. I'm sure Scott appreciates that. <laughs> We're so glad. <laughs> thank you for all your prayers. You. I just want to say a special thank you to Valera. She's my little hero, too. She come to see me at the hospital, at the nursing home. She comes to the house. I just told her this morning I really miss her because she hasn't been there for a while. But she would come, and we would just sit and talk. She would pray with me, and she really brightened my day. Amen. So Amen. I, I have something to add to that one thing about Valera as well. Um, when we was at the hospital, um, we, me and Valera stepped out, and we said we was going to stand on his word for um, where two more people are gathered in his name, and that's what we stood on. So I really think that. Amen. Praise God. Let's give it up for what God has done. Ain't God good? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'll be very brief uh, this morning. Um, the Bible says in our scripture here to cast not away our faith. That means to throw down or discard. It would be like taking your shirt off and just throwing it down. That lets me know that we have the capability of throwing away our own confidence in God. We can throw away our trust in the Lord. We can throw away our faith. And you heard from Shonda, every time she got a negative word from the devil, she would rebuke it basically and say, no, she is going to be healed. 
She refused to throw away her faith in God. The entire family refused to throw their faith away in God. And look what God has done for Sister Ethel. Here she is. She looks good for a twice-dead woman without oxygen for so long. Her brain works just fine. Amen? Matter of fact, it might work better than it used to. Amen. 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 Her letter from the doctor says, I detect no brain damage whatsoever. Praise God. Look, when tough times hits, don't throw away your confidence. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep declaring the scriptures. Keep speaking the word of God like Shonda and, the, and Marshall and all them did. Keep declaring the word of God out loud. There is power in the word of God. How many can testify to that? He said... If you don't cast away your faith, there'll be great recompense of reward. That literally means, in the Greek, a reimbursement. Everybody shout reimbursement. In other words, if you give $100, God will give it back to you. But God said a great recompense of reward. That means God always gives back with interest. God always uses your miracle for the glory of God. Someone shout amen. There are seven things, and it sounds like, oh, we're going to be here forever. We're not. It's very short. Seven things that cause us to cast away our confidence or our trust in the Lord. Number one, lack of vision. Everybody say lack of vision. Habakkuk 2, 2 through 4 says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. It could also literally read, the sick shall be healed by faith. I just read in Acts where Paul looked at a man and saw that he had faith to be healed. And he, and he spoke the word over him and the man was healed. Amen. Without vision, you lose your confidence. Without vision, you'll lose your confidence in our church. You'll lose your confidence in your marriage, in your life, in your health, in your body. Can you see yourself well? Do you have a vision of yourself healed? Can you see it? Can you see you walking around without back pain? Can you see you walking around with no shoulder problems? Can you see yourself completely healed and well? Do you have a vision? Vision is like the banks of a river. It, it helps keep the water flowing, so to speak. Without banks, it becomes a swamp. Have you ever been in a swamp? Have you ever smelled a swamp? You know, sometimes our faith can get swampy, stinky, smelly. We need vision to keep ourselves going and pursuing the future. Someone shout a good amen for that. Without a vision, you perish. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily to die physically. It means, literally, you have no defense. You are left without a defense. Literally, to be left without a weapon to fight with. Your vision of your healing of the Word of God is your armor. It is your weapon to continue fighting, to continue believing. That's what the King family did. They kept believing and declaring the word of God. They would not lose vision of the scriptures that said she was not only going to be come out of that hospital, but she was going to be perfectly well. They refused to give up. When you have a vision of yourself being healed or whatever it is God has put in you, you won't let anything hinder what you, that you go after that vision. Is anything hindering your vision for healing today? 
Is anything hindering the vision for your marriage, for your life, for our church? The second thing that will cause us to cast away our confidence or our faith in the Lord is to be at ease with the world. John chapter 16, verse 11 through 12 says, God has delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over to the hands of the wicked. I was at ease, but he had shattered me. Never forget that you and I were called out of the world. 2 Peter 3.13 says, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward. Everybody say forward. To a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Look, it, to, to, the world thinks carnally. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to think carnally minded. Romans 8. What does that mean if you've not been in church? Carnally minded. What does all that mean? It means to think like the world does. The world says, like the doctor who only walks in faith, some of them, not all, but the one that she had, that says it can't be done. The King family said, whoa, that's the way the world thinks. Here's what the Word of God says. Here's what God says, and I'm not thinking like the world thinks. We cannot think like the world. We have to think like God. And how do we think like God? His Word. Everybody say His Word. Being carnally minded will prevent you from being healed. The third thing that will cause you to cast down your confidence or faith in the Lord is spiritual complacency. Deuteronomy 32.11 says this, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. A, if you've ever watched a, a, a mother eagle, when the baby eagle, when it's time for it to fly, you know what it does? It starts pulling all the soft, fluffy stuff out of the nest. And it lets the hard, prickly, pokey sticks just poke and irritate that baby. It makes it very uncomfortable because the mama wants it to fly. If it doesn't start to fly, the mama will pick it up and drop it. And will swoop down and pick it up at the last second and do it over and over until finally that baby eagle starts flapping its wings. I have a question for you today. Could it be that what you're going through in your life right now may be God making you uncomfortable so you'll believe Him again for your miracle? You know, God will do that. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now we look at that scripture, if you've been in church long, as a very positive thing. Hey, it makes me better. But have you ever seen iron sharpen iron? Sparks are flying. It's rubbing metal to metal. It's not fun. There's friction. There's problems. The very person who creates sparks in your life that's rubbing you the wrong way, God may be using to make you uncomfortable to get you where he needs you to be. Am I preaching today? Sometimes God will use people to stir up your nest and make you uncomfortable so that you will fly. Hallelujah. God's wanting you to fly to your miracle. He wants you to fly to faith, to believe in Him. And listen, you will never leave your comfortable zone until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the fear of believing God. And what God does in our life so many times is He starts pulling out all the things that make us comfortable and we get crazy within ourselves. And you may have even recently said, why is all this happening to me? It may be God saying, I'm trying to get you to go somewhere. I'm trying to get you to do something. And you're never going to do it until I make your life uncomfortable. This is the word of God. 
The fourth thing is controversies. Look what Mark 16, 15, and 18 says. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Verse 18, they will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Take the gospel to the world. Heal the sick. Lay hands. They'll recover. That's controversial to the world, folks. When I was a little boy, that was not controversial in the late 70s. It is very controversial to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Just recently, I was listening to Tony Evans. He got invited to the city of Dallas to pray. And they said, oh, by the way, please don't use the name of Jesus. He said, so I loaded up and went down there. And he said, Father, I thank you that, uh, that we have a city council to help our city. And I thank you according to your word that Romans 13 says you created all the governments. And I thank you that your word further says that Jesus, all things were created by you in you and through you. So I thank you for creating the government, Lord Jesus. I thank you for creating the city council. And I ask you in the name of Jesus to help them make wise decisions. <laughs> he said, you don't want to hear the name of Jesus? Don't invite me to a prayer meeting. Amen. I love that. Hallelujah. That's controversial. They said, we don't want to offend. He said, I don't care. Amen. James 5, 14 and 15. In just a few minutes, just a little bit, we're going to pray this. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. It's New Testament. It's what we're going to do. And the prayer of faith will what? And the Lord will what? Just like he raised Ethel up. And if you commit his sins, they will be forgiven. That's controversial to the world. Don't let something controversial hinder you from receiving your healing. Number five is offenses. Everybody say offenses. This may be one that gets more than anything. Look, Mark 4, 17 through 18. They have no root in themselves, so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the world's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, so they hear the word. But offenses come because of the word. So Jesus said they would come, offenses. He said thorns. Thorns always represent either a spirit or a personality or an individual that's just sent by the enemy just to poke you sometimes. Uh, don't let offenses keep you from receiving your healing. Number six is pride. It, uh, Ezekiel 16, uh, excuse me, yeah, 16 verse 49. What was the deal with Sodom? Here it is. Look, this was the iniquity. This was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. There is a big difference between confidence and conceit. Look, Naaman almost lost his miracle of healing from leprosy because he was proud. Conceit is something that is trying to take from someone else when you talk about it, like as if you did it. It's building you up. Confidence is something you have that tries to be a blessing to someone else. Conceit does not focus on the other person. It focuses on yourself to build you up. Conceit elevates you while confidence comes through you to elevate someone else. Don't let conceit or pride keep you from your healing and your miracle. 1 Peter 5, 5-6 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed that means literally clothed like you would a jacket with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And finally, number seven, excuses. Everybody say excuses. 
when when they were all invited to the marriage supper, to the to the to the marriage banquet, they all had excuses why they couldn't come in Luke 14. Don't become addicted to excuses rather than achieving. Look, losers quit when it gets tough. Winners press through. It will be easy to make excuses as to why you've quit believing God. But it takes someone strong like the King family to say, I'm not going to quit believing what God says. Press through while your faith is, is there until you receive your healing. Two more statements and then we've got one more Short testimony, and we're going to pray. Look, God will never bless you past your last assignment that you did not do. Don't look for the next assignment if you haven't completed the current one. There are so many Christians that are spiritually walking around the same bush in the wilderness for 40 years because they will not complete the assignment God has given them. God does not, the American Education Board of Education for the United States... You don't get past to the fourth grade because you've been shaving in the third grade. God doesn't pass you to get you out of the school system. You've got to complete your assignment or you're not going to the next step. Is there something in your life that you're excusing away that God has called you to do that you just won't do? Maybe God is waiting for you to complete that. Is this all right today? Vision without process is fantasy. Vision without process is fantasy. Don't let excuses keep you from receiving your healing. Jerusha, will you come down? I want to invite Marty Clayman, Marty and Cindy Clayman's uh, daughter to come on down. And uh, she is Jerusha Hannah Banana Clayman. Her dad told me to say that. But she's coming down now, her and her husband Anthony, to tell you what God's done in their life. And we're going to pray. How many of you are going to not cast away your faith? Don't cast away your faith. Amen. So would you welcome Anthony and Jerusha? Would you do that? Amen. This is like a good show right here. We got two Gentiles and a Jew. Amen. That's right. <laughs> well, Jerusha, I've already spilled the beans on you being Hannah Banana. So that's, that's true. Everybody's like, I'm hungry. She better hurry up. No. <laughs> there you go. So Somebody's clapping. Yeah, I'm hungry. <laughs> Jerusha, tell us what happened. Tell us what's going on. What's what, Give us yeah. the backstory about Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure you guys know my mom and dad up there, Marty and Cindy. Marty and Cindy wave at everybody. We love Marty and Cindy. Amen. <laughs> yeah. So I was raised in a Christian home, a Messianic Jewish Christian home. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Just stop right there. I love that. Yeah. That's us. And uh, when I was younger, we would have, we would have like worship at home with my parents putting on some music and my dad normally giving us some kind of word and, and all the kids are just worshiping in our own way as kids. And I remember when I was younger, I was about seven or eight years old at one of these times at our home that we were worshiping. And during this time of worship, I was worshiping, and uh, I felt all of a sudden like I couldn't move, and I was on the floor, and I knew that it was not godly. I knew it was an ungodly spirit, an ungodly feeling that made me that I could not move, and I started crying. I started 
you know, asking somebody to help me get up. And I remember my sisters, I'm the youngest, remember my sisters literally trying to help me stand up, but I could not move. And I felt like there was a hold on me. In that moment, I've always remembered because there was a war on my life at that young age. And I always look back and know that there was a battle in the spiritual realm. There was a battle in the spiritual realm. I was worshiping Christ. I was a kid. God says, come to him like a kid, you know, like a, like a child. Right. I was worshiping Jesus. But there was an ungodly thing holding me, holding me back. And in that moment, I said, there's, there's, something in the, there's something in the spiritual realm. There's a warfare on my life. I was seven. At 10, I began experiencing odd symptoms in my body, in my mind. And I began having breathing problems. And not asthmatic breathing problems exactly, but I would go to sleep and I would actually be in fear for my life to go to sleep because I would wake up in the middle of the night not being able to breathe. And so I couldn't say anything, I couldn't scream, I couldn't say help, I would just be in my bed, <gasps> you know, not being able to breathe. And it always happened in the middle of the night. A lot of ungodly things happen in the middle of the night. A lot of ungodly things happen in the dark. Mm -hmm. And I remember it only would happen at night, which is so odd, never during the day. But it happened one time during the day. And I would tell my parents, I don't know what's wrong with me. Something's happening with me. You know, they would pray for me. They would pray over me. But I would go to bed that night and wake up not being able to breathe. But one time, one time it happened during the day. My dad used to have Bible studies on Mondays. I was 10 years old when this happened. And I woke up. Not, not woke up. It was during Bible study time. And I was in the kitchen with my mom. And it was the first time it ever happened during the day that I, out of nowhere, started not being able to breathe. And I collapsed on the floor. My mom said my face turned gray. My lips were turning purple. She was screaming to call 911. And my dad's Bible study was happening in the next room. <laughs> and I'm in the kitchen with this happening. So, of course, the Bible study is broken up. My dad's, like, getting on the phone to call the ambulance. And in the, ne and in the next room, my dad's Bible study his people came in and saw me, and they said, let's pray. And they all began to pray while I could not breathe, while I was helpless and just laying there trying to gasp a breath. They prayed. I got my breath back, and I've never had that episode ever again. It never happened at night again. It never happened during Amen. the day. Amen. And that's amazing. Praise and God. That was that was at 10. There was a string of things that began happening after that, just weird symptoms that I would experience as a teenager, as a young teen, as an older teen. When I was 20 years old, because uh, I'm just leading into today, but good thing I'm not that, not, you know, not much older than 20. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, when I was 20, <laughs> when I was 20, I had already gone through years of experiencing really odd symptoms. And for years, I didn't have health insurance, so I couldn't go see somebody. I would just pray and tell my parents. At 20, I finally went to see a, a doctor. And uh, 
and he wasn't the first. I signed up for, or I made appointments with all kinds of doctors, but one doctor diagnosed me with arthritis in my neck. He took x-rays. I saw the x-rays. He showed me where the arthritis is in my neck. I was 20 years old. I was like, how did I get arthritis in my neck? Yeah. <laughs> and he just told me, basically, he sat me down in his office. He said, look, I know you're young, but I got to show you these x-rays. He showed them to me. It was scary. And he told me, you're 20. He said, with the accelerating speed of this arthritis at 20 years old, he said, by 25, you will not be able to turn your neck right to left because it will be so profound in your neck. He sat me down and said that. And I remember being silent for just a moment. And at first, I felt fear. I felt sadness. And at first, I was, I was just profoundly sad. But, and then he said, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry to give you this news. And then I looked at him, and I said, listen, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to come to your chiropractic appointments. I'm going to do whatever, whatever you tell me that I need to do in the flesh realm, in the worldly realm. Come to your appointments. I'm going to listen and take your advice. I said, but my God will heal me hey. of this arthritis. <laughs> and I went to his appointments. You know, he, he was nice. He was a nice guy. And he was like, okay, okay, Jerusha, see you next week. <laughs> and so I went to all of his appointments. I was faithful to come to each one. And at each one, I made friends with all of his staff. And to all of his staff, while I had arthritis in my neck, I told them God's going to heal me. While I had arthritis, Amen. not afterward. Yeah. I didn't say Jesus afterward. I said it before. Yeah. I said, I, I might have arthritis according to your x-rays, according to my feelings. I said, but God. I made friends with all of those staff members, and I'm friends with a couple of them to this day. And I would come faithfully, every appointment, every appointment. And months later, months later, they took a, an updated x-ray just to see the progress, if anything had helped or if anything had gotten worse. They took another x-ray. Zero arthritis. Amen. No arthritis. No signs of deterioration in my neck. No arthritis in my neck. But the doctor didn't want to tell me that. He didn't want to tell me that. So he comes into the room real puzzled. Real puzzled. And he's like, well, <laughs> I don't really know how to say it. And I said, I don't have arthritis, do I? And he pulled up the x-ray, the before and after. And he said, I don't know how to explain it. But this was your arthritis. And this is your x-ray now. Hallelujah. And I remember I didn't want, I didn't, I, I remember I wanted those x-rays. And so I went home and I told my parents, you know, what just happened. And, and they were believing with me. And uh, my dad said, we got to get those x-rays. And I said, yeah, we do. We got to get those x-rays, you know, to testify. And he said, well, let, you know, let's, let's call them. Let's call them. And on the phone, they were like, oh, you know, we don't really do that. We don't really hand out the x-rays. And my dad said, okay. He hangs up the phone. He looks to me. He says, 
we're going up there. <laughs> and if you know my dad, when I say we went up there, we went up there. <laughs> and they didn't want to give us the x-rays because that doesn't benefit their office. It doesn't benefit their office to say Jesus healed me. Right. It benefits their office to say, look at all this chiropractic appointments. This really helped you. But Jesus is the reason for the x-ray. And I walked out with those x-rays to see the before and the after. And um, I'm, I am still going to make it quick. But do you want to share? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I'm making it quick, Pastor. I'm making it quick. Trying. Okay. So after the arthritis, praise God for that. Still... I still had an autoimmune disease that other doctors had diagnosed me with, a long list of other things, cataplexy, a narcolepsy, an autoimmune disease. I mean, like a list. One doctor told me that I am actually an old person in a young person's body. Another doctor told me that I will have a short life. Another doctor told me that I won't be able to have children. I have three downstairs. Amen. <laughs> and, and I went through this, these series of weird, odd symptoms in my body where I would faint uh, randomly, where my vision would fade out, um, where I would throw up everything and anything, like drinking water, I'd throw it up, drinking a smoothie, throw it up, drinking a meal, throw it up, um, lose weight like crazy, I'd be debilitated. My mom would come over and have to... Uh, do like simple chores for me because I would be basically bedridden and wouldn't be able to get up and do things. And those are just a few of them. It's just really weird things that I experienced. Do you want to share real quick? That was that was mid twenties, and her she got healed from arthritis early twenties. So um, this process is something that we went through that we learned something together because. Um, my mother was diagnosed of um, ovarian cancer 30 years ago. And she, um, and, and it all ties in, trust me. So she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and I am not yet 30. So it was before I was born. And they said it's stage one now, and while they were observing her, it became stage two ovarian cancer. And they said either the chemo is going to destroy your uterus or the, uh, or the cancer will destroy your uterus. Either way, you're not having any more kids. She had two kids at this point. And, um, and my mother was actually, she was new in the faith, but she believed in healing. She, like, she believed in the word of God. And long story short, uh, she went and got prayed for. And she went back after it was stage two cancer. And she said they ran more tests on her and came back puzzled and confused. And I've seen the paperwork myself. And they said, you have zero cancer. And then a year later, I was born. Yeah. Amen. So, so if you ask me if I believe in miracles, yeah, because I wouldn't exist if it wasn't for a miracle. Amen. But also, fast forward, um, five years ago, my mother was diagnosed with colon cancer. And she suffered through that for a little over three years. And long story short, she died from colon cancer. And what I, what we, and we went through this together because Drusha, she, I, I was, she got diagnosed a week before we got married. So Drusha knew my mother about three years before we got married. And then she was with her in the process of the three years of her suffering until she died. And so what I learned in that process was um, 
um, one thing I'm applied to that that now applies to us and what she's currently going through is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where uh, King Nebuchadnezzar threw them into the fire because he would they they wouldn't bow down to his idols. And I always just looked at the end result and like, wow, look look what happened. But if you but what stuck out to me and what hit me while watching my mother go through this process is, is the words that they said. They said, our God will heal us, but even if he doesn't, meaning there's a possibility that they would die in that fire because other people have gotten persecuted and didn't make it on the other side. He said, but even if he doesn't, we will serve our God and we will not bow down to your idols. Amen. And so and um, and watching my mother go through this, like my there was a moment where and, and this is kind of where it hit me. Like my mother was so close to God and and I was 100 percent convinced that she was going to get healed from this. But and also at the end of the day, none of us are going to live forever. We're all going to die at some point. And uh, she was in bed and she w she didn't get a lot of sleep through the night because of the pain that she was in. And I was in bed talking to her and sometimes she would fall asleep because she wouldn't get a lot of sleep from the night before. And I'm laying down talking to her mid conversation. She falls asleep. And so I'm just watching her, and she's and she's mo she's moaning and grunting, and she started crying in her sleep, and I like uncontrollably started to weep, and then I woke her up because I was crying, and then she was like, "Anthony, what's wrong?" And I was like, "I was like, I'm watching you sleep. I was like, you can't even sleep. I was like, I was like, mom, you're dying," and she was like, and she basically said, "Anthony, no matter what happens to me, I'll be okay," and that's you know when it hit me, and w and like when referring back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but back to, let's go back, because my mom died almost two years ago, so go back to five years ago, um, no, about six, seven years ago when we were getting to know each other, I felt helpless because I was literally, I felt like I was dating someone who was dying, or courting, since we're Christians, so I felt like I was with someone that was dying, <laughs> and I felt completely, <laughs> I felt completely helpless, and I was like, there's literally nothing that I can do, and, um, one thing that happened that led into um, where we're at today is I got into a really bad car accident, which I had no idea what was going to be the end result of this car accident. I messed up my back pretty bad, but through that, I started seeing a chiropractor, and the first thing he ever said to me is he sat me down. He was basically like, I want to see you after your case. I'm like, of course you do. You want my money, and so he was like, I want to continue to treat you after your case, after your case is over with yada, yada, and he explained to me, he was like, you know, your nervous system is held by your spine, your nervous system connected to every organ in your body. If your spine's out of a place, your organs get thrown off and people die from diseases and you can cure diseases from eating healthy, going to the chiropractor. And I'm like, you sound like a whack job. I was like, I've never heard of this stuff in my life. Like I, I go to the doctors, they give me medicines that treat the symptoms and that's what I was raised knowing and that's what I'm gonna do, you know? But, I, but basically I was also at a point where I was so desperate and I was like, the girl I'm seeing has an autoimmune disease. And he was like, bring her in, and then. <laughs> I'll be quick. Okay, so I, I just started going to this chiropractor, and he revolutionized my mind. It's not just Jesus, okay? He's a believer, too. But Jesus gives you practical things to also yes, follow, okay? Yes. It's okay to say Jesus is going to heal me, but I told my chiropractor I'm still going to come to your appointments. Yeah. God appoints people in your life and appoints knowledge. So I changed what I, this chiropractor helped me to change what I eat, to change what I do, to change <coughs> my activities, to do different things, practical things to help me. And let me tell you, one day I was in my apartment and I was just in so much pain. I was just debilitating pain. 
lying there on the floor crying. And I was mad at God. And it's okay. Job was. It's okay. David had real conversations. It's not that I was just angry at God throwing my fist. It's that it's called a real conversation. When yeah. you're close to somebody, they see your bad side. Yes. When you're close to somebody, they see the worst of you. He sees the worst of me, but we're close. It's okay. He's my husband. We're the most intimate the intimate relationship, it's okay. With Christ, I can be all of me. And that's what I was on that floor. I was angry. I was sad. I was in despair. And I said to God, in all of my despair, I said, I've been going through this for years. I said, I follow you. I am your child. I said, why haven't you healed me? And God didn't say, Jerusha, I'm going to heal you tomorrow. He didn't say, your healing's coming next week. He didn't give me a date. He said, praise me. And in that moment, with no music, with no nothing, I just started screaming, Jesus! Yeah. And I just started praising him. And God didn't heal me for good in that moment. But the pain went away for that moment. For that moment that I was praising him, God took the pain from me. And I could just focus on me and Jesus. And here's the thing. I still have pain. I still have an autoimmune disease. I still have a lot of the symptoms that I did years ago. But here's the difference. Somebody asked me, how can you follow Christ when, he's not gonna, when he hasn't healed you? Aren't you mad at him? And I say, listen. I am not God. His ways are not my ways. His ways are higher than my ways. And he can heal me today. But if he doesn't, I will still praise him. I will still follow him. He is still my God. He is my king. And you don't always understand why the king makes the decisions that he makes or the things that he does, the decrees that he makes. But it's your king, so you're going to follow him. He's my king no matter what. I don't care if I died today, if I got something else today, if I got cancer today, he's still my king. He's still my father. He's no less Jesus than the moment he healed me from arthritis. He's no less Jesus than the moment he healed me from my breathing problems at 10 than he is today and I still have symptoms. He's no less my God. That will never change. I will praise him no matter what. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God could have let them pass on through that fire, but he rescued them, but he was still their God, no less and no different. And my healing is in my waiting. I'm waiting for my healing, but my healing is in the waiting. My relationship with Christ is stronger now than it's ever been because of my dependency on him. God says he's close to the brokenhearted, and I have never felt him closer to me than in my despair of my pain, than in my despair of my autoimmune. I've never felt him closer to me than in my pain, not in the joyful, fun moments, which he's still there, but it is in my desperation. It is in the intimacy when I'm being real with God. It's in my pain where I feel his embrace, where I know he is with me no matter what. It's in the waiting that it's in the process that God still gets the glory. God still gets the glory no matter what, whether he heals me or not. And today, if you guys are dealing with something, 
God is still God. His ways are higher than our ways. And he can heal you today. But are you praising him in the waiting? Are you honoring him in the waiting? Are you giving him glory while you're waiting for that healing? He's still our God no matter what. Amen. Amen. That is